At this point, I want to transition us into our next segment, which is the hearing of God's word and the teaching of God's word. We're continuing our series in the Sermon of the Mount, and before we hear God's word, let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. Would you wash us in your word, wash us with your word, reveal our sin, renew our hearts, and renew our minds so that we would be able to live changed lives, gospel-changed lives. Help our preacher to speak words that would strike us in the depths of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, please give your attention to the hearing of God's word. Our reading today is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Last week, I was listening to a podcast from a conference called MLK 50, and the MLK stands for Martin Luther King. The podcast is a a panel of speakers. They're all evangelical leaders, and the host of the panel asks a question, where do we go from here? Now, that was two years ago, and it's the same question. One of the panelists is a man named Crawford Loritz, and he's a a black pastor in Georgia. And I was struck by his response to the question. He said this. He said, in my 60 years, that question has been asked repeatedly, where do we go from here? At a certain point, it comes across as disingenuous. The answer to that question is age old. The real issue is the courage to do the courage to break from, the courage to walk across and immerse yourself as a learner. It's the cost of discipleship. It's going to cost you something to be involved. It will cost you to develop an ethnically diverse life. The question has to be, are we willing to pay that price? Love is expensive. Commitment is expensive. It's no secret how we got into this divide. It's in our hearts. God is standing back and saying to the church, you all know what to do here. It's really the courage and the will to do it and to be it. Now, right now, we're thinking the same question, where do we go from here? As a church, where do we go from here? But what what Crawford Lawrence helped me to realize is that it's, um, it's the wrong question. The better question, the more humble question to ask, is is actually, why haven't we gone from here? Uh, And to answer that, we need to take a hard look at our values. And Jesus takes us there uh, in this passage that we're looking at today. But he doesn't talk about your values. He talks about your treasure. 
So as we talk through this text and spend time at, I've organized my thoughts under three points. There's earthly treasure and heavenly treasure and your heart's treasure. So we'll start with earthly treasure. In the fast few sermons, we've heard Jesus talk about religious hypocrisy. And so he says, do not practice your religion uh, when you pray, when you give, when you fast. Don't do those things in order to be seen by people. And that was the temptation in the religious culture of his day. Uh, That's the temptation in the church today, right now as well. And now, in this passage that we're looking at this morning, Jesus speaks about the temptation in the mainstream culture. Uh, And it's the temptation to materialism and possessions. Now, of course, possessions are a good thing. Uh, Possessions are the reason why you could get dressed in the morning and you can cook dinner and you can ride a bike. But Jesus is not talking about uh, possessions per se. He talks about your treasures. And that means uh, your treasure. That means something in your life. You, You don't just possess it. In fact, when it's your treasure, it sits at the center of your emotional world. Uh, your life centers upon it. You value it above, above anything else. Don't treasure things of the earth, Jesus says. And the reason, the reason is because they decay. They're vulnerable. Things in the world fall apart. They don't last. They're not permanent. You see that in physical things. Right now, my car is rusting. Uh, that started in like one of the wheel wells and then it's spread to all four of the wheel wells and then it's on the door. Um, why? Because this is what cars do. They, they get you places and they rust and, and, and you replace them eventually. Physical things don't last. They're vulnerable. The same is true about other things as well. Uh, the same is true about a, a, a possession like reputation. On, on social media, there's a kind of social currency that you can build up on, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And the cash is, is likes and its followers and its comments. But it is a fleeting thing. It's an impermanent thing. Um, and it, it needs to be constantly fed as well. Relationships are another kind of possession as well. They're vulnerable. And we've seen that during the pandemic lockdown. The lockdown has, has distanced you from your friends and it's sealed you in with your family and relationships, uh, many have become frustrating and difficult. There's separation or you're together all the time and there's conflict. And you can feel that relationship, what it was, what you want it to be, you can feel it slipping away because it's vulnerable. Now, everyone has relationships and you probably have social media and a lot of us have cars. Now, it's, it's one thing to enjoy these things and to appreciate them. And it's another thing to make a thing your treasure. That sets you up for a world of anxiety 
because these things are not sure things. They're, they're changeable. And what's more, when you treasure something, you project large emotional expectations onto that thing. And it, it, it can't bear the weight of your expectations. I've been thinking about cars recently. I watched the movie Ford versus Ferrari, so it's been on my mind. Um, I watched a video on YouTube recently, and the title of it is The Downside to Owning a Lamborghini. And it's a young guy talking into the camera, and behind him is not a piano. It's, a, it's a, like a bright yellow car, Lamborghini Diablo. And he talks about how he had always pictured and, and, and wanted to own this car. Uh, he had never thought about what it would feel like to actually sit inside of it. And outside, it looks amazing. It looks beautiful. It's great. People take photos. Inside, he said, you're just, you're sitting low in this, like, small, cramped space. And people look at him differently, too. It's bittersweet because... He bought this car because he loves cars and he wants to share this thing with people. And, uh, but people now treat him differently. Uh, they think he's got this huge ego when they see the car that he, that he owns. Um, he loves cars, but people think that he's, he's now sold out because he, he bought this supercar. Uh, they think he's full of himself. That hurts, he says. And that's a picture of treasure on earth. They're all like that. Now, I don't think that you're sitting there just just wishing that you could own a supercar. I don't think that. Um, Probably how this happens in in your heart, probably the, the pull is a lot more subtle in your heart. But I think that you and I actually share a lot in common with that young man uh, talking in the video we have the same tendency. We have the tendency to, to hold a thing and to look at it and say to that thing, you are my treasure. And Jesus says, that's vulnerable. You hold that thing with such high hopes and they can't match your expectations. And that thing is vulnerable. It doesn't last that's why Jesus warns you. He, he encourages you to treasure what does last. Heavenly treasure. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Treasures on earth are vulnerable. They depreciate the decay. Treasure in heaven is a sure thing. It's, it's a guaranteed investment. It's safe. Now that's, that's clear. That's not too hard to understand either. But what's not clear is how do you actually do it, right? And what, what is treasure in heaven anyway? And I think to answer that question, it's helpful to get a sense of what is going on in heaven, um, what's happening in heaven. And it's actually something the Bible talks about. It, it talks a lot about it. Uh, there's a scene in the book of Revelation 
It's in chapter 7. And the picture is a great crowd that no one can count. And it, it, it is vast. It's people from every nation, every tribe, all peoples, all languages. And they're before the throne. They're wearing white robes. They're holding palm branches. And they all cry out in their own language. They say, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's a picture is greater than the greatest soccer stadium, and there's no winner nation and no loser nation. All the nations are together, celebrating together, and it is the greatest championship. Christ has won the victory. Death is defeated. Death is no more. Now, how you lay up treasure in heaven is you act now in ways that build to that picture. You do things now that lead towards Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. That picture. And what's in the picture? What do you see? You see the worship of Jesus Christ. So you lay up treasures right now, treasures in heaven, as you learn about Jesus, so you listen to his teaching, you admire his words and the kind of life he lived and the things that he did. As you do that, as you learn about him now, you're storing up treasure for that day, that day of worship. What else is in the picture? You see a crowd, and it's a huge crowd. It's a crowd of God's people, So you store up treasure in heaven when you connect to the church and you spend time with your brothers and sisters. And that that points to that day of worship together. And, don't miss this, what kind of crowd is it? Who's in the crowd? Did you hear it? It's a crowd filled with people from every nation, all tribes, all peoples and languages. So, how do you act now in ways that build towards that multi-ethnic picture? This is a conversation that we're only beginning to have as a church together. Events of the past two weeks have shown that we need to grow in this area. Uh, Many of you have seen it for maybe a long time. Um, It's been a blind spot for church leadership, and I share that. It should not take a man dying to wake up church leadership, but that is what happened, and that's where we're at. That's our starting point. It's not ideal. It's not great. But here we are, and we want to see change. So how do we grow? How do we store up treasure in heaven? How do we build to this picture of all cultures worshiping together? How do we do that? What do you do? On your own time, you pray. You ask God to give you a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And you pray for God's kingdom to come and for his justice and for his will to be done. You pray for his justice in your own life, in your heart. You do that on your own 
And together, as the church, you, in, in the community, you seek out relationships, the kind where you open yourself up to know someone and to have a growing relationship with someone who has a very different life experience from yourself. Now, there are, there are two majority cultures at Grace West. There's white folks who are born in Canada and the United States, and there are second-generation Canadians whose parents immigrated to Canada from East Asia. Those are the majority cultures. And if I had to guess, those two groups make up roughly 80% of Grace West. So that's about 20% who are not Caucasian or Asian or are born somewhere outside of North America and they probably speak a different language from English as their first language. And what we're hearing right now in, in staff and leadership conversations as we're listening to folks, what we're hearing right now is that many of the, of the majority uh, cultural groups feel connected. They feel a kind of belonging. The majority do. Um, and what we're also hearing is that we need to, to better see and welcome and include people who are not part of the two majority cultures. We're hearing a call to do that. My realization, as I sat with this text, is that Jesus has always been telling us to do that. I've been blind to it. Many of you haven't. Um, You've been longing for this, and finally we're talking about it as a church together. Jesus is telling us as a church to store up treasure in heaven in this way, multi-ethnic treasure in heaven, in our church culture, and how we live together right now. And that's going to happen more and more as folks in the majority groups pursue relationships and and deep relationships with people in the non-majority. Because change needs to happen in the majority cultures, and I identify with that. Change needs to happen in my heart and in how I, how I act within the church. Now, I know that it is not an easy thing to just walk across the room and open yourself up and, and, and to know and to connect deeply uh, with someone from a very different life experience. It's not easy for all kinds of reasons. But let's take this season that we're in because we can't even cross the floor in the gym right now. We're not meeting in the gym. Let's take this season right now that we're in so that when we gather again, and we will, we'll seek relationships together. We'll do this better. Let's pray and let's long for that together. And I want to share one way uh, that we can practically help each other to do that. Many of you know that Grace West has a book discussion. Uh, it's led by Bernice Yanfil, and we've been meeting for about a year and a half, and we read books that um, engage with topics of race and identity and justice. And the next book that we're reading is titled, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity 
in a world made for whiteness. And it's the memoir of a, of a black woman in the United States who grew up um, and, and who lives inhabiting um, schools and workplaces and churches that are majority white in her experience. So I want to invite you to uh, join the conversation that we're going to have around this book. Order the book uh, or get it on Kindle or whatever and email Bernice uh, to, to connect. We're going to, uh, over email, choose the, the meeting date together. Uh, you can find Bernice's email in the, in the comment section uh, below the, this YouTube video. Okay, so we've talked about storing up treasure on earth and what that is, and we've talked about treasure in heaven and what that is. Now we need to ask the question, where is my treasure? The thing that I value most, those things, uh, are they on earth or are they in heaven? In Revelation, in that scene of worship. Near the beginning of the sermon, I, I quoted Crawford Loritz, and he says, that question, where do we go from here? That's the wrong question to ask. The better question, the humble question, is why haven't we gone from here as a church and as a majority culture? And we need to wrestle with that question. Because if we, if we overestimate our goodness and our willingness, then if, if we think too highly of ourselves, right, then we fail to diagnose the problem, the depth of the problem. And a shallow diagnosis is going to lead to no solution at all. If you can't see the problem, you can't make any real progress. And I fear that this is a problem in the dialogue, in the broader culture right now, and in the church um, as well. People are doing a lot of things right now. They're responding to this moment. Cineplex has put out like more than 40 movies that you can stream online for free, and they're by black directors and, and, uh, and artists. And there's all kinds of articles um, being posted on Facebook. There's lots of things to read. There's uh, reading lists that are, that are coming out that are, that are anti-racism reading lists. And the books are out of stock because uh, these, these, are, these are taking off. And Christian parents are buying, buying things for their kids like a book called God's Good Idea. And it's, it's about God creating di- diversity and uh, different, different ethnicities. Now, these are all good things. Of course they are. They're, they're great things. But I, I fear that we don't reckon with how deep the problem goes. We need more than some education and some guidance. We need to have our values challenged. We need our hearts changed at the deepest level. The majority culture's in our society and in the church, we're still a people who love treasures on earth. We love our comfort. We love our power and influence. And our hearts are sick. To put it another way, we have impaired vision. And that's the second image that, that Jesus talks about here. Jesus talks about the eye. 
your eye can be healthy, he says. Uh, the Greek word uh, behind that means an eye that has a single focus. Um, in this context, in the Sermon on the Mount, that single focus is an eye that's fixed on God. Um, it's loyal to God. It's focused on God's will and commandments. Now, that kind of eye helps the whole body to function properly. Uh, right acting, right living, and living with equity. But the eye can be bad. It can be divided. It's not focused on God's light. God's commandments are, are become blurry. They're unfocused. That way, with an eye that is bad, that way is darkness. It's moral darkness and blindness. Now, the truth is that people with impaired eyes, people with blurry moral vision, like you and me, we can't fix our own vision. And I know this because my family has a history of retinal de- detachments. Um, and you, can't, you cannot just watch a documentary and read a book and your retina is better. You need surgery by an extremely talented surgeon. That's our level of need. That's our depth of need in the majority cultures. We need emergency intervention that comes from outside of us. We need God to change our hearts and our eyes so that we can see what is valuable. The kind of things you see in Revelation chapter 7. We need to have our vision clarified so we can see that and act in ways that lead towards that, build towards that. That is why God sent Jesus Christ into the world because Jesus is a healer. Jesus came as light into the world. At the beginning of his ministry, uh, the Gospel of Matthew says this about Jesus. It says, In Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Jesus did not come to give people a bit of help. He didn't come to give a bit of advice. He came to give sight to the blind. He came to heal the paralyzed. He came to cast out leprosy and cast out demons. He is a healer, not a consultant. He came to heal the human heart, and he is able to forgive your sin. Because the prophet Isaiah says also that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and with his stripes we're healed. On the cross, God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all, and that includes every racist act, every complicit act, every careless word in sin. All who are contrite and confess their sin, God is faithful and just to forgive your sin. And it's Jesus who identifies with the oppressed as well. One Sabbath, Jesus went to the synagogue and he took the scroll of Isaiah and he sat down and read from the scroll these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to set the oppressed at liberty, 
and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus knows your pain, especially the pain of the oppressed and the minority cultures who are excluded. He forgives your sin, and he forgives racial sin. And what's more, he shows you how to live, and you see that in the way that Jesus walked right through racial barriers. John chapter 4 tells the story of the Samaritan woman, and Jesus is a man and a Jewish rabbi, and she's a woman with a low reputation and a Samaritan. They were not even supposed to look at each other on the street, but Jesus walks right up to her and starts a conversation. He, he did that. He moved toward her in grace and in compassion. And Jesus came to draw all people to himself. You can come to him and confess your sin and come to him and let him bind up your heart and come to him and look at his life. Look at his life and let him be the standard and your north star and let him teach you how to be a human being, how to move across boundaries, how to love the people around you, how to love your brothers and sisters. Let's do that this season. Let's look at him. Let's look at him with a fresh urgency and ask him to be our healer and to bind up our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you see our need. You see our need for forgiveness, our need for healing, the need for hearts to be bound up. And we thank you, Lord, that in Jesus you sent the one who provides everything we need, our healer, our teacher, the one who shows us how to live and how to be human. Help us, O oh God, by your spirit help us to see him, to rely upon him entirely and to find him faithful and patient to heal us and teach us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.